So, we are talking again, it's our second lesson on lying. Pastor Snodgrass, as he does so often, corrects my English a bit. So we're going to change the title to The Sin of Lying, okay? It's a more complete phrase rather than just saying lying. And uh, he's so good at that, you know, how to say things. So uh, this is on the sin of lying. Last time we considered uh, question 144 of the larger catechism. Again, we're talking about larger catechism this time, uh, mainly because it has more material, but also helps us to familiarize ourselves with that. We should all be aware of the larger catechism. We should access it. We should read it. There's so much there that challenges us, wakes our minds up, makes us think better, and uh, provides us again with a larger knowledge of God. So last time we considered questions 143 and 144, uh, bearing false witness, and what the duties uh, that are required uh, from the Ninth Commandment. Uh, this time we're going to consider question 145, what are the sins forbidden in the Ninth, ninth Commandment? Question 45 of the larger catechism. Uh, again, this is an extensive listing. This is like a catalog that the larger catechism provides for us of things for us to think about. Now, you and I both know that this is not a complete catalog. It looks like it. Here it is. Okay? looks like a complete catalog, but it's not. Uh, there's a lot here for us to know. We don't know everything that's in this paragraph. Hopefully, we'll become more familiar and move on from here the things that are larger, to a better knowledge and familiarity with our Bibles. So again, this is more or less a catalog, different topics, different, for thing, different things for us to consider with regard to the, um, the uh, sin of lying and what is forbidden. So question 145, what are the sins forbidden in the Ninth Commandment? And I'm going to read the whole paragraph here. Uh, I think it's in your handout too. Um, the answer, uh, the sins forbidden in the Ninth Commandment are prejudicing the truth and the good name of our neighbors as well as our own, especially the public ju judicature, giving false evidence, suborning false witness, witnessing, wittingly appearing and pleading for an evil cause, outfacing and overbearing the truth, passing unjust sentence, calling evil good and good evil, Rewarding the wicked according to the work of the righteous, and the righteous according to the work of the wicked. Forgery, concealing the truth, undue silence in, in a just cause, and holding our peace when iniquity calleth for, for either a reproof from ourselves or complaint to others. Speaking the truth unseasonably or maliciously to a wrong end or perverting it to a wrong meaning, and in doubtful and equivocal expressions to the prejudice of truth and justice. Speaking untruth, lying, slandering, backbiting, detracting, tail-bearing, whispering, scoffing, reviling, rash, harsh, and partial censuring. Misconstructing intentions, words, and actions, flattering, vainglorious boasting, thinking or speaking too highly or too meanly of ourselves or others, denying the gifts and graces of God, aggravating smaller faults, hiding, accusing, and extenuating of sins when called to a free confession, unnecessary, un, unnecessary discovering of infirmities, raising false rumors, receiving and countenancing evil reports, and stopping our ears against just defense, evil suspicion, envying or grieving at the deserved credit of any, endeavoring or desiring to impair it, rejoicing in their disgrace and infamy, scornful contempt, fond admiration, brief, uh, I'm sorry, breach of lawful promises, neglecting such things as are of good report and practicing or not avoiding, um, avoiding ourselves or not hindering what we can and others, such things as procure an evil name. Okay? There's a lot there. And again, I'd like to consider some of these things individually. We're going to think about half of this this week, and next week we'll finish the rest of it. So, sins forbidden in the Ninth Commandment, um, all prejudicing the truth and the good name of our neighbors, as well as our own, especially in public judicature. 
um, Bible verses I've given you there. 1 Samuel 17, uh, 20 through 30. Now these are the verses that uh, are traditionally associated with the larger catechism. Okay, I didn't choose these. I got these out of a reference. As we read this stuff, you guys are probably going to be able to say, oh, that Bible verse pertains to this also, you know, or this or that. You know, do that for yourselves. You know, add to this uh, what other good references the Bible gives us on this. So, prejudicing the tr- truth and the good name of our neighbors, 1 Samuel seventeen twenty-eight through 30. Now his eldest brother, this is talking about David, at the time he goes to confront Goliath, okay? Now his eldest brother heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down, and with whom have you left those uh, few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? What is, what is not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. So an example of really prejudicing the truth, speaking against what's really there. We know this story of David. David comes to the, to the battle where Goliath has presented himself, and uh, David is criticized by one of his brothers. And he's there just to, David's there just to sort of look at the situation, and he has his own reaction to it, okay? And we know it's a godly reaction that David has, but still, it's his reaction either way, one way or the other. So what's wrong with him saying what he believes about that situation? And And yet, Eliab comes up against him in that. He says, look, you're wrong in what you're doing, what you're saying. He's making an analysis about David's heart that Eliab really doesn't know. So he's really speaking against the truth of what David is and what he is representing. Um, Another reference, 2 Samuel 1, 9 through 16. This is uh, at the death of Saul. It's a description, okay, by the Amalekite of what the death of Saul was like, okay? And he said to me, stand beside me and kill me, for anguish has seized me, and yet my life still lingers. So I stood beside him and killed him because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the armlet that was on his arm, and I have brought them here to my Lord. Now let's stop there for a second. You guys know this story. You know, um, Saul, Jonathan, killed in battle. Saul's suffering from a wound, and he says to his armor bearer, run me through. I want to die so that the enemy doesn't come and shame me and take advantage of me. His armor bearer won't do that, okay? So Saul does what? This is what we call today, he fell on his sword, right? He killed himself. That's the story that we know. And yet here the Amalekite is telling a different story. Okay, so it's an untruth to start with. So we go on then, then David took hold of his clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they had, fa- because they had fallen by the sword. And David said to the young man who told him, Where did you come from? And he answered, I am a son of a sojourner and a Malachite. David said to him, How is it you were not afraid to put, your, put out your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of the young men and said, Go, execute him. And he struck him down so that he died. And David said to him, Your blood be on your head, for your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. So really, he tells a falsehood, doesn't he? The Amalekite does. And he pays for that lie, doesn't he? Not just for the lie, but for demeaning the anointed of the Lord. So he prejudiced the truth. He, he said something that was not true. He sort of told a story that had to do with that particular situation. But what he was saying was not entirely true about what happened. And in telling that story, he did what? He demeaned the Lord's anointed, okay? And so he prejudiced the truth. Uh, He prejudiced the good name of his neighbor. You know, Saul was not a good king, but he was the Lord's anointed. He represented Israel, and the Amalekite actually demeaned him, okay? 
So prejudicing the truth and the good name of our neighbors, as well as our own, especially in public judicature. Now we talked last term, term last uh, time about you know the courts. We tend to put all this stuff in court, don't we? Well, if I drive too fast, I'll end up in front of the judge. He'll give me a fine, so forth and so on. Um, or you know, I did something wrong at work. The boss called me in. You know, we talked about the situation. I got a punishment or something happened. You know, I lost a, a work day or a leave day or something. We tend to think about um, uh, doing this thing as a court, okay? But, you know, we also talked last time about how most of what we do doesn't end up in court, but we like to think about it that way. And in, the, in doing that, we're actually sort of hiding from God and we're hiding from the truth and we're hiding from ourselves, uh, we like to think about court. It's on TV all the time. It seems cool. But what we're actually doing is we're pushing away the idea of what is right and wrong and what we're doing rather than considering it in our hearts and taking it before God. Now, we have to go to court. The Bible says we do go to court and need to at times. But it also says that we're supposed to um, you know, take our troubles um, through the church and deal with them that way as well, which means to take them through our heart and deal with them through God. So we don't want to always think about this as going to court, okay? We want to think about this as what is our standing before God. The other thing that's a little bit hard to think about here, I think, is um, uh, we're not supposed to prejudice the truth, the good name of our neighbor, as well as our own good name, Okay. We're not supposed to degrade ourselves, okay? We're not supposed to make a lie about what we think that we're presenting to the world, okay? Um, the good name that we have, we're not supposed to degrade either. We are people in Christ, okay? We are Christians. Uh, we're not supposed to degrade ourselves because we were made in the image of God, okay? So... We're not supposed to prejudice the truth. We're not supposed to prejudice the good name of our neighbor, nor our own good name. There's a lot of falsity that goes on. There's a lot of false uh, humility, isn't there, that we present to the world. And we shouldn't be degrading ourselves. We should be walking as children of God, knowing our sin. We're not perfect, okay? But um, the larger catechism tells us here that we're not supposed to degrade our own good name either. I think that's hard to talk about because we don't really think about things like that, do we? It's hard to think that we're degrading our own good name. But there is such a thing as false humility. There is such a thing as manipulating other people by presenting a false humility. And this is what this is talking about. We're not supposed to prejudice the truth. We're not supposed to uh, degrade ourselves or degrade other people either. Now, this is a general theme in this list of things in the, in the larger catechism, and some of these things are difficult for us to talk about. We know somebody is not in a good way, but we're not supposed to talk about them that way, right? We're supposed to either leave it be or build them up, right? Even though we know they sin, we know they're sinful people, they may be having problems of various kinds, but one of the general themes of the larger catechism here is we're not supposed to be degrading people in that way. And for some reason, okay, they put this under the category of bearing false witness, okay? Now, that's a bit troubling, isn't it? I mean, what do you do if you're not talking the truth about somebody? That guy's a bad guy. He did this, 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 and this, right? It says we're not supposed to be talking like that. Maybe true, okay? But under this category of bearing false witness, we shouldn't be telling the truth in that way. And that's something that we, I'd like for you to think about as we go through this long list of things, these multiple examples of the, th of the same thing. Are we lying by not telling the truth? The Catechism tells us in a way that we're bearing false witness, okay, by taking those things and emphasizing those things about other people. And we'll talk about that more as we go along. It's a conundrum. I think you'll agree it's, it's a difficult thing. Well, I was telling the truth. Well, yeah, but you degraded that person. And uh, the uh, catechism, once again, puts that under the category of bearing false witness. This person was made in the image of God. Not, he's, not, he's, not that he's perfect, not that he's holy, 
but we are not supposed to give a false view of the world by emphasizing the degradation of others. Think about it. It's a difficult concept. Um, so protecting our, our name and the good name of our neighbor, one thing about being Christians, you know, we are justified in Jesus Christ, right? Uh, we are being sanctified as time goes by. Um, if we are constantly emphasizing the faults, the degradation, the sin of other people, what are we doing? We're putting out this idea of justification, um, the, the redemption that was uh, purchased by Jesus Christ. It kind of puts that in the background. And as a result, we're really not talking about one of the great truths of our life, which is redemption in Jesus Christ. Okay? We tend to talk badly of other people. That grabs our mind. We love that, don't we? I'm going to admit it. I'm going to confess today. I love saying bad things about other people. It just entices you, doesn't it? You hear something about somebody, and you want to carry that story on. Okay, It's something we grip to. And yet, what does that do? It denies the glory of God, the holiness of God, redemption in Jesus Christ. Because after all, what God created is very good. We have a fallen world. We're fallen ourselves. But his purpose is perfect, okay? And as we go through providence, uh, if we're just degrading other people, if that's our emphasis in dealing with other people, then we're really not uh, living in the holiness of God in the acknowledgement of the redemption in Jesus Christ. So think about that. Another difficult uh, concept. Um, let's see. Uh, a couple more verses about in the public judicature, in, in the public courts. Leviticus 19.15, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. And in Habakkuk 1.4, uh, so the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. We'd like to demonstrate in our courts a real justice, wouldn't we? And that's what Habakkuk is talking about. It's trying to convict us of the fact that our justice is paralyzed. We know that. We know how our courts function. And a lot of times we don't understand it. We know that justice is not done there. And why is it not done? Because we all are bearing false witness. We're looking at the world in the wrong way. We're not looking at the world even in a factually correct way, but certainly not in a spiritually correct way. And again, all of this that the larger catechism lists, it sounds kind of everyday, it sounds mundane, but you know, this is all in the Bible, and this is one of the reasons I, I put a lot of these verses in here uh, from the references, uh, because it's just good to know that these things that we're supposed to be doing every day, they're outlined in the Bible. They're there, okay? You know, we look at the Bible, this exalted thing, but so often we don't see how this really relates to us day by day. And we need to know that even in these things that are rather trivial, what happens in court, okay, the Bible is there talking about it. And I just wanted to, to emphasize that to you. Um, so the next phrase is giving false witness, suborning, suborning false witnesses. Uh, wittingly appearing and pleading for an evil cause, outfacing and overbearing the truth. Okay? Can everybody define all those words? They're not, they're not words we tend to use today, and they're, they're, some of them are pretty technical. Uh, giving false evidence, we know what that is. Suborning false witnesses, that means encouraging other people to lie, okay, particularly in court, but you can suborn a false witness even outside of court. You can induce people to lie anywhere, okay? So suborning false witness is inducing somebody to lie. You'll hear that uh, with regard to things that happen in court today. They actually use the word on TV, expecting everybody to understand it. You know, it's a tough word, suborning uh, false witness. So you're not supposed to support or induce somebody to, to lie. Um, wittingly appearing and pleading for an evil cause. I think we understand that. The, the language is a little bit difficult. Wittingly appearing and pleading for an evil cause, okay? You don't want to uh, support a cause that is evil. 
um, telling the truth or not telling or not telling the truth. You do not want to support an evil cause, and uh, that means doing it. it says wittingly. That means when you understand what you're doing. Okay, wittingly appearing and pleading for an evil cause um, is also part of bearing false witness. Okay, because everything that we do in untruth. Okay. Everything that we do that does not support the glory of God, the glory of Christ, is um, bearing false witness. Okay, we need to understand that. As we go through this, try to put, keep this in your mind. Uh, things that do not exalt Christ actually end up being false witness. They're lying, okay? It's the sin of lying. Wittingly appearing and pleading for an evil cause, even if you're telling the truth and you're pleading for an evil cause. Uh, that is part of bearing false witness about what is true and about what is good and about the goodness and holiness of Christ. Um, so, outfacing, uh, I have the definition there on your uh, handout, I think, um, is to disconcert or defeat by bold confrontation. So we can understand that, outfacing, you know, he's in your face. I'm going to get in his face, okay? I'm going to pressure him into doing something or other. Um, pressuring him to start with is not the right approach to another person. Uh, but um, we also don't want to come on to a situation that is truthful, okay? And we don't want to take somebody who is actually telling us the truth and suppress that truth by getting in his face, by pushing him down by pressing him away, okay? So outfacing the truth, okay? That's opposing the truth uh, in that way by just being um, aggressive. Overbear is to overcome by emotional pressure or physical force. Somewhat the same thing, okay? Overcome by emotional pressure or physical force. Now, in our day and age, we do that a lot, don't we? Okay? You know, we come in, we want to present ourselves as strong people, uh, you're in a meeting at work, you want to present yourself as strong. There's a variety of ways to do that. You know, you can sit up straight, you can dress in particular colors, right? There used to be strong colors. When a strong color is red, right? If you wear red to a meeting, you know, you're presenting as strong. Or the other way, if you wear black or dark, it's a strong appearance too. Um, so uh, becoming overbearing, okay, in these ways... Simply presenting force, okay, is uh, not a good thing either because you're not really focusing on the truth and what the actuality of things are. There's an article in the Wall Street Journal a number of years ago about how to present yourself in a meeting, okay? And the way, one of the ways you do this, if you want to appear strong, is you occupy as much of the table as you can, the meeting table. So you bring your stuff in, your briefcase, all your papers, and you spread them all out, your pan, your coffee, all this stuff. The more, psychologically, they show that the more space that you occupy, the stronger your appearance. Well, if your purpose is just to use that strength to overcome whatever anybody else is saying, then that's not a truthful thing either. That's bearing false witness as well. So it's fun to do that sometimes, you know, show your strength. But uh, unless we're focusing on the, the project at hand or the truth, we're really doing the wrong thing. Jeremiah 9, 3 through 5, they bend their tongue like a bow. Falsehood and not truth has grown strong in the land, for they proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me, declares the Lord. They bend their, their tongue like a bow. How often do we do this? We want strong words. We want loud words, Right? Uh, we want to try to convince somebody. We want to outface them. We want to be overbearing. Very nice language, isn't it? It's, it's probably easier to remember this phrase, they bend their tongue like a bow, all right? You're sitting in a meeting and somebody's trying to overbear everybody else. You, you can think of what the Bible tells us poetically here. They bend their tongue like a bow. Falsehood and truth has grown strong in the land. That second line actually interprets the first doesn't it? Okay? It's good poetry. For they proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me, declares the Lord. Now, I think a lot of you, when I see this phrase, from evil to evil, okay, I, I think of the, um, the phrase, from grace to grace, 
from faith to faith. What does this mean? That language means it's building up, okay? Evil builds up, as it says here. They go from evil to evil. But we also have the phrase in the Bible, from grace to grace, okay? From faith to faith, building up. And that's where we would like to be. Um, I don't know that I put this in your handout. Um, Romans 1.17, for therein is the righteousness of, righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. That's that uh, building up of faith, that crescendo of faith. Um, so Jeremiah 9.3-5 continues, um, let everyone beware of his neighbor and put no trust in any brother, for every brother is a deceiver, and every neighbor goes about as a slanderer. Everyone deceives his neighbor, and no one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongue uh, to speak lies. They weary themselves committing iniquity. Okay. Now, is this overstatement? Is this hyperbole? Or is that really the way it is? Is this the world that we live in? Uh, Let everyone beware of his neighbor and put no trust in his brother. For every brother is a deceiver, and every neighbor goes, goes about as a slanderer. Everyone deceives his neighbor, and no one speaks the truth. I was listening to the news the other day in the morning. I listen while I'm shaving in the morning, and that's all I can take in a day. You know, I can't listen to it anymore. Um, But there is, uh, everything they say is overstatement. It's overbearing. There's a lie in every sentence. And that's unfortunate, because there needs to be some truth in what they're talking about. But the way it's presented, and I listen to, you know, what I think is conservative, straightforward, supposed to be correct, and so forth and so on. But the manner in which it's presented is it's not a truthful manner. It's telling tales about other people, isn't it? Okay, it's tale-bearing. It's telling these stories in a way that's overbearing. What are they trying to do? They're trying to convince you. The news is no longer just reading facts. It's an attempt to convince you, okay, of what they're trying to uh, get you to internalize and to support, okay? So all you have to do is listen to the news, and you know that these couple of verses are absolutely true. Everyone deceives his neighbor, and no one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves committing iniquity. They wear themselves out committing iniquity. And we do this, don't they? I don't want to say this is all everybody else. I know my own sinfulness, and I know how that wears me out, you know? We just have trouble keeping going in the right way. Um, Acts 24, 2 through 5. And when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since, you, since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation. In every way and everywhere we accept this with all gratitude. He's buttering him up, isn't he? Okay. He's uh, trying to control Felix. But to detain you no further, okay, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly, for we have found this man a, found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sects of the Nazarene. Okay? So the speaker is trying to impugn uh, Paul and... What does he do? The first thing he does, he goes to the person, he goes to Tertullus, the governor there, right? And he's, he exalts him. You know, he makes him feel good about himself. And then after saying all these things, all these great things that you have done, you know, you've lowered our taxes, all these things that the politicians say today, he says, but this guy over here is doing a bad thing, and he's actually lying about him, okay? Uh, it's what we call spin today, right, in, in the newspapers. It's spin. You say a couple of truths, And then you say a lie. That's the formula for spin. And that works, okay? You look at it on TV, you know, and you hear a couple of truths and a lie, and you go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, it works funny on your mind, and this is exactly what this person is doing here. He says a couple things that are true. He draws you in. Then he tells you a lie, and you think the whole business is true. So, again, another method of lying. Uh, Psalm 3, 1 through 4 The psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son, O Lord, how many are my foes, 
Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Salah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Now, this particular passage, I think, illustrates well this business of um, the truth being in the Lord. There's all these things that happen in our lives. Here, David is saying, O Lord, how many are my foes? True. Many are rising against me. True. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. And yet he says, uh, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. You know, this theme that we've talked about, that some of these things that we do to demean other people, to tell lies, to distort the truth, okay, uh, to not build up your neighbor, okay, to not build up yourself, okay, to not show the holiness of God in providence, okay, those things are obscuring the truth of God's sovereignty and his ruling of our, um, of our um, uh, society of creation. So the first couple, there's people against him, there are people that are lying about him, but the real truth about this is, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Okay? That's what we forget in the run of our day-to-day. Yes, the Lord is our shield as Christians, okay? Um, He is our glory. He is the lifter of our head. But he is also the provident one who is bringing out something that is perfect in the society that seems so damaged and fallen. And this is the truth that we ignore when we're not looking at the perfection of what God does in our day-by-day. So try to hold that in your head. When you're sitting in the meeting at work, okay, it may be nothing more than that you're bored to death, okay? There may not be a lot of bad stuff going on in the meeting, but you're bored to death. I mean, how about thinking about this? But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. Doesn't that set you in the right direction in terms of what you're trying to accomplish? I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. That's the truth of our existence that we neglect, okay? Psalm 12, 3 and 4, May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts, those who say, With our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us, who is master over us, okay? Now, this is a modern example here, and what it's saying is, You know, we're surrounded by these people who are constantly using truth and using lies to um, cause things to go in one direction or another, to cause people to follow them and to help them out. Uh, With our tongue we will prevail, they say. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Well, today, you know, we've heard many times uh, this phrase, People will believe a big lie sooner than a little one. And if you repeat it frequently enough, people will sooner or later believe it. Okay? The politicians are saying this all the time, aren't they? Well, if you tell a lie loud enough and often enough, then people are just going to believe it. Does anybody know where, who said this first? Whose, whose philosophy was this? Anybody remember? I didn't remember until I looked it up, so... But we hear this. I mean, they say this on the news. You tell a lie loud enough and often enough. Any ideas? Anybody anybody guess who who said that? Who? Darwin? Darwin? No. Mm -mm. It was actually Adolf Hitler. This was in Mein Kampf. That was not long ago, was it? But he was actually crystallizing the idea of lying that has occurred throughout the ages from the beginning of time. You know, the... The uh, politicians bring this up. The news reporters bring this up. You tell a lie often enough and loud enough and people will start to believe it. Well, we see that. We know that that's true. But look at the, the heinous mind who formulated this in words for us really not too long ago, right? Uh, before 1950. So go on, going on to the next phrase in our larger catechism, passing unjust sentence, calling evil good, and good evil. Well, I think uh, we all remember hearing this 
in um, uh, the Bible, passing unjust sentence, calling evil good and good evil. We know that God decries this, passing unjust sentence. Proverbs seventeen fifteen: he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Okay? Think about the abomination. We talk about abominations in the Bible, and we think of all kind of heinous things. And uh, yet here, Proverbs seventeen fifteen: he who justifies the wicked, which means he says, yeah, the wicked's right. That wicked person's right in what he's doing. Okay? And he who condemns the righteous... He who sees somebody who is doing something good or sees the, what is really the work of God and what, what's happening, those who condemn the righteous are both an abomination to the Lord. Think of the other abominations that you read about in the Bible. And yet this is a similar abomination, dealing wrongly with the truth, justifying the wicked and condemning the righteous. Uh, this is not just about making punishment, Right? Uh, we don't give enough punishment to the wicked, right? Or we give too much punishment to the righteous. That's not what this is about. This is about distorting the truth. It's about bearing false witness. Um, we're not very good at assigning sentence, you know, putting people in jail for long enough, or we put them in too long or too little. We're not very good at that, okay? And um, we try to do a good job in it, but we don't. But one thing that we can do, okay, is we can support the truth as best we can. We can let society know what this is all about. And it's not all about just how long do you put somebody in jail. It's about what the truth of this is. You hear on the news, you hear somebody gone to jail, he did all kinds of stuff, he embezzled, or he cheated on his taxes, or all these things. And we're all listening, 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 and what we're listening for. He goes to jail for 20 years, right? That's what we want to hear. Was he punished enough? Well, that's not really what this is about. This is about whether the truth was upheld or not. Justifying the wicked, meaning saying what the wicked does is truth or is good. Condemning the righteous, working against what is actually true. So we're not very good at making punishments. We tend to concentrate on them too much. We're not good at that. But what we can do is we can uphold the truth. And uh, we look to our Lord Jesus Christ to help us with that. Um, so it's also saying that improper sentencing is um, uh, an affront to God as well. Um, again, if we give too little or too much, uh, you remember what? You're only allowed to give 40 lashes, right? On the old sailing ships, it was the same way. If you gave more than that, they were using biblical kind of standards in the old sailing ships. Uh, you can only lash somebody 40 times, okay? If you did more than that, you could actually be tried yourself for doing that. So again, we're looking for the truth. We're not really looking for how long the sentence was. We do want to give a reasonable sentence. We want to try at that. But don't forget what the purpose of this is, and that is to uphold the truth. Um, the next phrase from the larger catechism, uh, call, calling evil good and good evil, rewarding the wicked according to the work of the righteous and the righteous according to the work of the wicked. Okay? Um, very much the same thing. That kind of fills out what we were just talking about, calling evil good and good evil. Okay, We do that today, sometimes mistakenly, sometimes on purpose. Rewarding the wicked according to the work of the righteous. Okay, uh, Making the wicked seem that they are righteous and putting them in higher positions, right? The old book, The Peter Principle, what happens if you were inadequate or unable? What happened? You got a promotion, right? Rewarding the wicked according to the work of the righteous and the righteous according to the work of the wicked. We see that all the time. Everybody who works for a big company, you know, sees people who are inadequate being promoted all the time and those who have done a really good work getting nothing at all. Okay? We know that. We decry that. We feel it in our hearts. Okay? Isaiah 5.23, who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. That's the biblical speak for this particular thing that the catechism is talking about. Acquit the guilty for a bribe, okay? Um, guilty, get a bribe of some kind or other. We see this in multiple different ways in our courts. And deprive the innocent of his right, okay? The innocent, the person who has done something good, doesn't really get uh, that position in society that he should. 
Isaiah 5.20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And Psalm 109.5, So they reward, reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. God says this over and over and over again in the Bible. Old and New Testament. Okay, He must do that for a reason. And this is just pervasive in our society. How much do we think about this in our day by day? Even at the grocery store. But, you know, particularly at work, particularly interaction with other people. Are, are we rewarding evil for good and good? Uh, we're we're um, not rewarding um, goodness in the way it should be rewarded. Again, what this does when we're not looking at a good ethic, we're not looking at doing things in the right way, it neglects the holiness of Christ. Okay, we're not thinking. You bring the uh, image of Christ to yourself in the midst of these things, ask yourself where you should be before Christ in these various situations, and that will bring you to perhaps a glorification of him in the things that you do day by day. Of course, this has been a problem throughout all the ages. The other thing that this tells us about lying and, and what we, is, is that lying is interactive, isn't it? I mean, I suppose you could sit in a room by yourself and lie to yourself, I suppose. Uh, I suppose if you were a hermit or something, you could do that. But most of this is us trying to influence somebody else. Lying, the sin of lying is an interactive thing. We are imposing ourselves on somebody else and on our society and upon the whole world. This is, this is the, um, the nature of the fall of man. Um, the next phrase uh, from the, from the uh, catechism, uh, forgery, concealing the truth, undue silence in a just cause, holding our peace when iniquity calleth for either a reproof from ourselves or complaint to others. Now this phrase begins with the word forgery. You know what forgery is? You know, you make a, a, um, a false bill, $100 bill, you forge a $100 bill, or you forge somebody's signature on a, um, on a document or on a check. Um, you're, you're putting something out there that is, uh, was false, and it's generally called forgery. It's kind of, I guess, lying on paper. Um, but under this category, the catechism lists these other things. This is all one kind of clause here. Forgery, concealing the truth, undue silence in a just cause, holding our peace when iniquity calleth for either a reproof from ourselves or a complaint from, from others. The catechism is suggesting to us that all of these things are a form of forgery, a form of saying that um, one thing is true when in fact it isn't. So con concealing the truth is a form of forgery. It's an act by ourselves to cover things up. You know, putting your own signature on the check when it should have been somebody else's, okay? You're really concealing the truth, aren't you? You're, you're trying to say that this is, um, you know, somebody else's signature. So concealing the truth is a kind of forgery. Undo silence in a just cause, okay? You sit there, you don't say anything, right? I mentioned last week, this happens in corporate meetings and boardrooms all the time. Everybody sits there and doesn't say anything. You don't say anything, what happens? Everybody thinks that you agree or that you think that that's true, okay? You're actually uh, representing something as true that's not true by not saying anything, okay? And the, uh, the uh, catechism is trying to give us this idea Undue silence in a just cause is, is a kind of lying. It's a kind of um, um, bearing of false witness. It's a kind of forgery. Holding our peace when iniquity calleth for either a repro reproof from ourselves or a complaint to others. We should be speaking up one way or the other, okay? And we don't. Everybody sits there in silence. Everybody thinks that whoever is talking is saying the truth, and we don't stand up and say, that's not right, okay? It's a kind of forgery. It's representing something as true that is not true or substituting one thing for another. So think about that. It's a bit deep, but think about all those things are a form of forgery. Psalm 119.69, the insolent smear me with lies. 
but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Luke 16, 5 through 7. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much uh, do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said, take your bill and write 80. I think you've all heard this kind of proverb before. And I guess when we read that, we're not really thinking about um, the guy being a forger, do we? Uh, he's actually trying to set himself right with his master by doing this. But in this, as we think about it, he's actually telling him to do something different than what is true, to write down something that's different, okay? Um, however you interpret that, that uh, parable, uh, it is a form of forgery. Luke 19, 8 through 9, and, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Why did they use this as a reference? Okay? I mean, Zacchaeus is telling us what a great guy he is, right? He's a tax collector, which automatically in that day makes him a bad guy, right? They were, they were not honest with what they were doing. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Okay? He's trying to tell you what a good guy he is. And yet we know that just from his profession, uh, he was not. Okay? And um, Jesus actually corrects him. Okay? He's actually, Zacchaeus is trying to engage in an act of forgery here. He's trying to represent himself as, as something different than what he is. And what Jesus actually tells him at the end of this is that that has nothing to do with your salvation, okay? Don't we do that? We try to be good guys. We say, this will help me get to heaven, right? This will help me get to Christ, right? I do this, and I'll feel good about myself, and I'll help to get, get to Christ. Well, that's really a forgery because it doesn't work that way. Zacchaeus is trying to represent himself as a good guy. Sounds like a good guy, doesn't he? All this charity that he does. But then Jesus says, corrects him. It's, it's, kind of, it's even a harsh correction, isn't it? He says, and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. He's one of the elect, all right? That's what he's saying. He's not talking about a physical son of Abraham, okay, whether, whether or not that was true. He's saying a son of Abraham. He's telling him he's one of the elect. And that's the truth about Zacchaeus. It's not all the good things, not all the bad things he's done that he's been redeemed for. The fact is he's one of the elect. He's one of the redeemed of Israel. He's one of the redeemed of God, okay. And so Jesus actually kind of harshly, you know, sets him back. Today, salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. It's the only reason. He's one of the chosen of God. Um, let's see. Concealing the truth, undue silence, and a just cause. Uh, Leviticus 5.1, if anyone sins in that he bears a public adjuration to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. Okay, this is the court part of what we said about people sitting around in a meeting and not saying anything, okay? If you need to, to, uh, to stand up and testify, you need to do that, okay? Uh, it's hard going to court, okay? It's hard going to court to testify, you know, even if you're just there as a witness, okay? It's not an easy thing to do. People try to avoid that. They don't stand up for what they know is right. Um, next in Acts 5, 3 through 9, we have the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Once again, they misrepresented what they were doing. They gave a portion when their representation to everybody was that they were, they were giving all that they had. Okay, So they were misrepresenting themselves. Concealing the truth, I think Ananias and Sapphira is a good example of that. Very, very plain. Undue silence and a just cause. Um, and holding our peace when iniquity calleth for either reproof from ourselves or complaint to others. Okay, again, not speaking out when we should. 
1 Kings 1, 5, and 6, Adonijah sets himself up as king. Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen, 50 men to run before him. Boy, he really set himself forward, didn't he? His father had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done thus and so? He was also a very handsome man, and he was born uh, next after Absalom. So the focus here in terms of concealing the truth, uh, not stepping forward, holding our peace when iniquity calleth for either a reproof from ourselves or a complaint to others. Really talking about what David did here, right? Okay. Um, his father, David, had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done thus and so? He never reproved his son for trying to take the throne. Okay, David never did this. David was sitting back and being silent. This was an, uh, an example of um, sitting back and not calling one to task for doing something wrong. Um, David was holding his peace when iniquity called for either a reproof from ourselves or a complaint to others. And you know how this disrupted the kingdom. You know what happened after this with Absalom, who was eventually um, who was eventually killed. So David was the one in this case who was not speaking forward when he should have. Isaiah fifty nine four. No one enters suit justly. No one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. We're over. Um, Again, this is Isaiah. We say this is Old Testament, right? But do we understand that this is truly the way our society is? This is pervasive in our society. No one enters suit justly, okay? Are our intentions just when we go to court? No one goes to law honestly, okay? It's rare today. We see this all the time. They rely on empty pleas, things that are not true, okay? Things that don't really put forth the truth. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. Take that citation there. Consider it between now and next time. Is this really the way we see our society? Do we see it truthfully? Do we see all this sin which is pervasive? And yet in the context of that, do we see that this is God's world, that God is provident, that his holiness is expressed in this world despite all of this? And a lot of the falseness that we speak about is a failure to glorify Christ, knowing that, this is, that, that our world is governed by providence, is governed by him, and yet we suppress that truth, don't we? We're not bringing that out all the time. We're not really showing that God is provident and that his holiness is shown in his creation. That's our big suppression of the truth. So we have to stop there. The truth of time is caught up with us. So uh, why don't we close in prayer? Lord, we 